and welcome to episode 41 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. I'm Andy Hamilton, coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo, Iowa. Joined on the phone by David Mirkatani, coming to you from the suburbs of St. Louis. Welcome back, David. How's everything today? Everything is good. Just getting uh, the week wrapped up before we head out to Lincoln. Yeah, exciting stuff on the way this week. World Team Trials. Uh, schoolboy duels, Pan Am Juniors, lots of stuff happening this week. Uh, a couple Division One programs on the move in terms of conferences. A couple high-profile wrestlers on the move uh, in terms of transfers. we got a couple weight classes we're going to look at. David, where do you want to kick this thing off this week? Wherever you want. Wherever you, you know, think it makes sense to start. Well, you mentioned World Team Trials at the top. It's uh, the stuff that everybody's going to have their eye on this weekend out in Lincoln. Uh, UWW Junior World Team Trials uh, is well on Friday. Senior World Team Trials on Saturday. Some highly anticipated matchups uh, coming right. out of the pipe in both of them. David, what is the most exciting thing on the plate this week for you? What are you looking forward to most? I think, you know, and no disrespect to anybody else that's in these weight classes, but I think it's super intriguing to see David Taylor, you know, probably get to wrestle Jaden Cox. And, you know, the series that keeps on going, Kyle Dake, Jordan Burroughs, you know, and I I feel like if Burroughs wins that, there's a good chance that Dake moves up if they do have those new weight classes to like that 80 kilo weight class to, to, to get on a world team. And I think if he doesn't, you might see a Deeringer or some of those other guys that, you know, you're going to see a lot of movement. I think when they change these weight classes, but that, that primarily, and I think it's super interesting to think that not that long ago, you know, David Taylor was a 157 pounder and or 149 pounder, I guess when he wrestled Bubba Jenkins and now, you know, and that, and, uh, Cox was a 220-pounder and a heavyweight in high school, even though obviously didn't weigh that much. It's just interesting to see those guys. You know, it, it's sort of hard to anticipate those guys would end up wrestling each other. Again, obviously the same thing could probably be said for, like, it would be hard to imagine that Kyle Dake would end up wrestling uh, Jamie Cox in the Olympic trial finals too. So I think those are two, you know, super interesting stories. And then I think, that 66-kilo weight class in the junior world team trials is going to be absolutely bonkers mayhem, right? Yeah, yep. Well, let's rewind to, to Taylor and Cox. And, and obviously, David Taylor's got some work to do to get to that point. Uh, but that sure. being said, um, you know, he's on a serious tear this year. I'm not sure if in the history of the World Cup anybody's ever had a better World Cup than the than the one David Taylor had this year, 4-0. and a uh, couple wins over Olympic gold medalists, um, dominant performance uh, start to finish. Uh, once he got uh, over the hump in, in that uh, match against Yazdani Tirati, uh he really poured it on. He he, uh, he wore out a lot of guys out there with just you know peppering them with with leg attacks and and just looks like a totally different guy this year. Uh, so high pace, high powered offense from David Taylor. Uh, and then you look on the other side of the coin, Jaden Cox did not allow a takedown at the Olympics in four matches. <laughs> Pretty fascinating stuff. If if we get a best of three there, how would you see that one shaping up? 
Well, it's it's really interesting, right? Because they're both, you know, they're both so special and and have been were were you know very dominant in high in college rather as well. I think, I mean, I know Jaden a little better just because you know he's a Missouri guy and I recruited his older brother and I mean his learning curve. I mean, he obviously was a superstar in high school, and him and Co- or him and Snyder rather would go back and forth at Fargo. But he didn't really wrestle a lot of freestyle in the off season in college. And then when he tried out for the Olympic or went out for the Olympic trials, you know, we're in one of those pools, and everybody's kind of picking guys. And I picked him because he was the only guy at that weight class that was cutting to make the weight. And because you've seen a lot of success recently, guys that came right out of a college season and do really well at that senior level and at the Olympic level. So it, it's interesting. I'm also friends with a, a buddy of mine who's uh, – his nutritionist is the one that's worked with David Taylor and helping him get big and get big functionally. So on paper, it seems like Jaden Cox would have a size advantage and maybe a speed and flexibility advantage. I, and Jason or Jason Ryder is also a complete freak to – finish on when you get to his legs. So if Taylor gets to him, he's going to have to finish really quickly. I mean, Jaden's a, a Mike Ironman protege and, and is so good at scrambling. I, you know, I, I think Jaden has the advantage if for no other reason. He gets to rest. You know, he gets to get his practice matches in, but he doesn't have to run through the tournament. And even though, you know, Taylor feels like he's the number one guy at that weight, I mean, and we'll probably walk through the possible brackets, but there's a lot of good guys in all these brackets. It's not like he's just going to walk through and people are going to fall down for him. So, uh, I mean, I would think Jaden has the advantage, but like you said, David Taylor has had an unbelievable season, and, and specifically, like you said, his World Cup was just absolutely off the chain. You mentioned uh, Jaden and Kyle Snyder going around up in Fargo. And it, yeah. it uh, triggered triggered something in my mind. My guy Brett Haas up here in Iowa, uh, back when he went to Fargo, he drew Kyle uh-huh. Snyder first. Kyle Snyder first round, Jaden Cox second round. He got those those two guys were his two matches up in Fargo. So, so did they went to a barbecue, but he could swear. But he went home saying, "I swear, I really wrestled some good guys." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the worst Fargo draw of all time. About thirty, absolute thirty. <laughs> That probably so, literally is, right? With guys with yeah. Olympic medals. That's crazy, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's so, brutal. That's absolutely yep. brutal. Spend $1,000 and all that time to go up there and then <laughs> that happens to you. Yeah. Hey, he's got a story to tell, though. He's got a great story to tell. <laughs> well, if you're, you're going to lose, right, if you're not going to place, that's almost better than taking seventh. I mean, you can at least argue you. I might have been the third best guy. So yeah, yeah. Well, how, how do you think that'll go with Cox and, and Taylor? How do you see it going? Yeah, I really don't know. I could see it uh, going so many different ways. I I think that you know the one thing that uh, you know th- that I look back on, and, and this is this is ancient history ago. I mean, a year ago, we're, we're talking about. Um, you know, th- those were barn burners in the, in the matches in the final series with uh, with Jaden Cox and, and uh, Kyle Dake last year. And I think the Dake-Taylor match is 4-3. And, and, and David just hasn't been able to get over that hurdle against Kyle Dake. Uh, but that being said, he, he just looks like a totally different guy this year. And, and you know, the same could be said for the, for the jump that, 
that Jaden Cox has made, you know, that, that he made from last April until last August, I, you know, you, you could see like the guy just getting better every time out. It was like his confidence was getting, his confidence was growing. His skills were getting better. He was getting more in tune with, uh, you know, freestyle rules. And, and, and if, uh, I think if he had, had been aware of the situation, um, he, you know, he's probably in the Olympic finals last year. So I, I agree with that last statement. 100%. 100%. And, I agree with that. And, uh, so, so I think, uh, I guess whoever comes out of this bracket, I, I think you got to think is a strong bet to medal in Paris. Uh, I think the United States can be well represented. Whichever one, you know, wh- whomever comes out of this bracket and, and, and wins in Lincoln this weekend, I'm, I'm just fascinated to watch it all. And same thing with, uh, you know, 74 kilos. And, and uh, you mentioned we're going to take a run through it. We might as well do that now and and, and uh, just get that going and, and talk about sure. 57 kilos a little bit. Uh, yeah, let's well, just want to start down there. Yeah, let, let's do it. I mean, to me, that's one of the most uh, intriguing weights of the tournament uh, in terms of, you know, you got Tony Ramos and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, we talked about it off air. There's something to be said for for that clutch gene and and yeah, you know, his, his ability to come through when when things get uh, tight. I mean, the guy has found ways to win matches, and I think he was behind in every single one of his matches out in Vegas at the Open and found a way to win them all. Then you got yeah. uh, um, Tyler Graff is probably on the best tear of his career right now. I think it's like seven consecutive international tournaments that he has won. Um, Nashon is a guy that uh, certainly can score takedowns on on just about anybody. Um, you know, just your general thoughts, David. How do you see it shaping up? Who do you think is going to well, be there uh, in the end Saturday? I, I, I'm a nerd where I like to put the brackets together, so I put the brackets together based on where guys are ranked. Now, at this weight, the one guy that is is qualified who probably won't wrestle as Daniel Dennis, but as a returning Olympian, he's a kind of qualifying spot. So I don't have him in here. So I have Graf versus Del. Or I guess the pigtail matches would be Delgado as the eight seed versus Gilman as the nine seed, which would be unbelievable, especially with the recent Hawkeye Wrestling Club dynamic. And the other one would be Darian Cruz as the ten seed versus Zach Sanders as the seven, and then. What's whoever wins those matches, Graf would get the winner of Delgado Gilman. The other part of that top top bracket is Megalutis Borelli. Then Tomasello against uh, Alan Waters. And then the winner of Cruz Sanders against Nashon Garrett. If the seeds held, the semis would be Graf Megalutis versus Tomasello Garrett. And then if the seeds held again, it would be Graf against Garrett. This this weight feels like there's a lot of parity though, right? Like if. Yeah, if, if yeah. Megalutis came out, or even like an Alan Waters, right, who's really good and is probably going to be seated sixth or seventh, if he would make the finals of the tournament, I don't think that'd be a huge surprise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one where it feels like there could be, you know, any one of six, seven, eight, nine guys that that could make the finals, and you wouldn't be floored by it, right? You wouldn't be like, how in the world did that happen? Correct. And certain guys really match up well here, right? Like against each other, like, you know, Graf's really good on his top game. And, um, you know, so guys that struggle on bottom are hoping that he gets beat ahead of time. You know, Megalutis 
had that super close match with Ramos a couple years ago where he lost on that crazy rule where it was a half shot was worth a point or something like that. He lost 1-0. So, you know, I mean, I, obviously, I think, you know, rather than just say this eight times in a row, I think the guy sitting in the finals waiting is the favorite. But, you know, who's going to win the bracket in this case? It's really interesting. And, you know, Ramos has pretty good records against all of these guys, right? I mean, I think if you wanted to see something super interesting, Ramos against Thomas Gilman would be really interesting just based on what happened at the Olympic trials. And now you've got Ramos against another Iowa guy. I think that would be, and you're a guy that likes storylines, that'd probably be the best storyline for the, the final series at 57 kilos, right? It'd be one of, certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that's how the, the brackets seem like they would shake out at a 57. At 61, for people that you know don't have brackets in front of them, Logan Stieber's waiting. Uh, looks like Kendrick Maple would be the one seed. Uh, Brandon Wright would be the two. Josh Kendig, the three. Cody Brewer, the four. Jason Ness, five. Seth Gross, six. Joe Colon, seven. Uh, Chris Tardane's eight. Cannon Store, nine. Corey Clark, if he wrestles, would be the 10. So if those hold, and I mean, and there's an argument for Joe Colon to be up as high as five, but if he were the seven, him and Brandon Wright would be a rematch, not only from the U.S. Open semis, but from their time together, not only at Grandview, but at Iowa Central. So those are guys that know each other really well. And if, if the seeds hold, it'd be Maple against Dardanes in the quarters, Cody Brewer against Ness. Josh Kindick, Seth Gross, and then the Cologne-Brandon Wright match. Again, if seeds held, Brandon Wright, Josh Kindig versus, and then Maple versus Cody Brewer, and those guys wrestled at the semis of the U.S. Open and trained together at OU for years. I, it, it feels like, like, to me, Logan Stever feels like he's on his own level. It feels like Maple's really on a level separate from the rest of these guys. And then it really wouldn't surprise me if anybody came out of that bottom half of the bracket. And it wouldn't surprise me if Maple wrestled really any of these other guys in the semis. The only thing that would surprise me in this bracket would be if Cody Brewer had a low-scoring match. That's that's really the only thing that I, could, that I would be shocked to see if that happened. Because that guy puts, puts up points and gives up points. Yeah, and you could say the same thing about Joe Cologne, too. I mean, he, he isn't. He isn't in too many uh, one, you know, one-one criteria battles. You know, they're going to push-outs and shot clock violations and stuff like that. You're going to see some points on the board, and you know, I think 61 kilos has a chance to be a lot of fun, just because of what what you mentioned there: Kindig, Brewer, um, Jason yeah. Ness, Seth Gross, Joe Cologne. I mean, those are guys that score score a lot of points. They're not afraid to give up points because they they've got confidence that they're going to score them in bunches too. That's right. And they attack. And like you said, they don't sit on leads and they chase leads down. And, you know, Kendrick scores a ton of points too, like you said. So, uh, and, and he's done really well down there at 61. He's doing a good job of managing his weight and, you know, he's very productive there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Then if you go to 65 kilos, that's where Jordan Oliver's waiting. And the seeds, it looks like Frank Molinaro one, Zane Rutherford two, BJ Futrell three, Kellen Russell, four, Nick Dardane, five, Mario Mason, six, Evan Henderson, seven, Dean Heil, eight. I don't even know if Dean Heil is wrestling in this or not. 
this weight for all the world feels like it's Molinero and Rutherford in the finals. And, and I guess I should mention here that Jimmy Kennedy, who would be ranked very highly here, is, is moving up to 70 kilos. So that's why you don't hear his name here at 65, even that's, that's where he wrestled at the U.S. Open. So mm-hmm. do, do you see anybody derailing Molinero versus Rutherford? And if not, who do you think who wins between those two? You know, those guys look like, you know, based on, on results and what we've seen here, it seemed like they're on a different plane than, than the rest of the field here. But, uh, uh, you know, who wins between those two? I don't know. I think it would be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I think that's a, that's a question, uh, you know, a lot of people are probably wondering. You know, you look at uh, where they were in the Olympic trials last year, and, and uh, obviously Frank had such a tremendous – day there in Iowa city and got on such a roll and he carried that through to, um, qualify the way for the Olympics. And then, uh, you know, an eyelash away from, um, taking home a medal right. from Rio and, and just looked like to, to me, just looked like sort of like Jaden Cox where, you know, as the summer progressed, you could just see the confidence building and him and becoming a different wrestler, um, but, but I think that, that, uh, maybe lost in the shuffle a little bit, you know, cause, cause there was so much depth at that weight class and, and right. what was Molinero like the, like Molinero was like the nine or 10 seed, right? Like the nine seed. Right. And he yeah. comes through and, um, lost in the shuffle a little bit was the tournament that Zane had. And, and he put on a heck of a performance there in Carver Hawk Arena and, and, uh, Correct. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't dismiss him from from uh, breaking up the party and, and you know putting himself in in there Saturday night uh, in contention to make a team. Yeah, and I think Zane took third at the Olympic trials and beat James Green right out of the gate. I know he beat James Green because he just looked like Green cut so much weight to go down there from seventy to sixty five, and you know then you got guys like Tico that are gone. So I mean. It, it really, I agree with you 100%. It feels like Molinero and Rutherford are sort of destined to meet. And you know they had to have trained together. So it'll be, you know, student and the master and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it'll that'll be, I think, fascinating to watch. And then, you know, if, if Jordan's going to finally make a world team, th- this is his chance to do it for sure. So you go to 70 kilos. James Green is waiting. Uh, Kolchitsky is the one seed, I think. Tammy the two, Jimmy Kennedy the three, but there's an argument that Jimmy Kennedy could be the one seed, so which would obviously change the matchups. The rest of it seems to be pretty set. Nolf four, Pantaleo five, Chamberlain six, Tommy Gantt seven, Ness eight. And this is one where, you know, it's some of the weights, it's there's maybe like, well, who's the five, six, seven? The one, two, three here is really is fluid. And then I think the seating meeting will be interesting to argue. I think Kennedy may end up as the one seed, which would then put him, you know, at the top and then put Kolchitsky and Pammy at the bottom. It feels like those three guys, though, um, are, are a little bit clear of the field. And I think people would certainly be really interested to see if Nolf, just with his high volume of attacks, he scores points. But in freestyle, sometimes that high volume can actually, you know, cost you points as well. And then Nest is so much fun to watch because you know he's going to try a high flyer or some crazy stuff at some point. So how do you see the weight shaking out? I think you laid it out perfectly right there. Um, 
I, I really do. I think uh, your point about Nolf is is spot on. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we talked about those guys that at uh, 61 kilos to score points, and and you you don't want to turn away, and that's that's the same thing with him. And and then uh, Kolchetsky, um, you know, a guy that hey, just a fascinating story. I mean, I, I I think the first time, it's funny that him and Dylan Ness wound up in the same weight weight here because the first time I saw uh, Nazar was right down the street uh, from me right now, Young Arena, and. Uh, uh, Northern Plains, um, you know, I think it was, no, I think it was Northern Plains regional was right down the street. And, and, uh, you know, come in thinking that like Bart Ryder, Mac, Mac Ryder's younger brother, Bart was a four timer in Iowa. And you got Dylan Ness in this same bracket. Everybody's talking about Ness and Ryder meeting up and, and Nazar comes in and beats, <laughs> Nazar comes in and beats them both. And, and I think he's only been in the United States, um, maybe a month or two at that point, And, and, uh, you know, coming over from the Ukraine, having such a terrific Division Three career, and then uh, really getting it going on the freestyle level. Had uh, such a such a good tournament um, back in Ukraine uh, last. Uh, I think I think it was December uh, for the club cup, uh, the club cup championship. Um, so that's that's a guy to, to certainly keep an eye on. A guy that um, you know, as he has more success. Uh, on the senior level in the United States, more and more people are, are finding out about his story, and, and uh, um, I, w- I wouldn't discount him either. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, guys like me that follow him know that, you know, who knew he was, but, yeah, he, because he didn't wrestle D1 and all that kind of stuff, he's, he's kind of a, a hidden gem for sure. So I think that way it's real interesting. And, and James Green, you know, I think you feel like if you're America, there's – Someone's gonna have to wrestle awfully well to beat him, and you know he continues to look like he's a guy that can medal. I mean, obviously he's done it before, but at the highest level. So, then 74 kilos. Burroughs is obviously waiting. This weight's really fluid. In after the first two, in the bracket, Dake's the one seed, Deeringer's the two seed. One way, and I have it drawn up this way. It's this is with Mark Hall not wrestling in the seniors because he's wrestling in the juniors. But, you know, we can walk through both scenarios. If he doesn't wrestle, USA Wrestling has Chris Perry ranked ahead of Anthony Valencia, but Anthony Valencia placed ahead of him at the U.S. Open. So it would be interesting to see. I have it based on rankings, according to USA Wrestling. Perry would be the three seed, Valencia the four seed, LaValle the five seed, Imar the six seed, Marstow the seven seed, Vincenzo Joseph the eight seed. That, 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 matchup gives you some really interesting if it comes that way because now Marcel and Jerry are wrestle again. Imar and Chris Perry would wrestle. You know, Mark Perry that that's fun on which corner he sits in and that leaves Mark Hall out of it. And I was actually talking to somebody about this today because I'm actually coaching in the juniors. I know the juniors weigh in on Thursday and wrestle Friday and I know the weigh-ins for the seniors are on Friday. So what do you think the realistic chances that Mark Hall either wrestles in both of these or gets a special exemption where they push the final two out of three for the junior tournament, maybe to Fargo or something, so he can wrestle in the senior bracket? I hadn't really given that much thought, but, uh, you know, I, I asked Mark about that uh, out in Vegas. You know, asked him if, if there was any thought, you know, if he'd given any thought to wrestling in the open, going the senior route instead. And he said, uh, um, 
uh, I want to say maybe it was even Lee Pritz that, that he talked to that, that said, uh, you know, the, to chase championships, chase world titles, basically, and, and uh, you know, give yourself an opportunity to, to go win those things and wrestle uh, the best guys in the world at your age division. And, you know, but uh, certainly something to, to keep an eye on, right? I mean, you know, he, he's a guy that uh, um, a, a year ago at the Olympic trials, I mean, you know, he, he ran into some guys that are grown men in, in uh, I think Andrew Howell, right. uh, if I'm not mistaken, he ran into him. I think, uh, did he wrestle Adam Hall there too? Uh, him and Logan Massa uh, had an epic match. Yeah, yeah. it, was, it yeah. was so much fun to watch. And, and uh, uh, so I would love to see, you know, the more we can see a Mark Hall, the better off, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, a lot more fun when, when a guy like that is in the bracket that, you know, can do so many uh, so many different things at a high level. So, yeah, certainly something to keep an eye on uh, as, the week, um, as the week progresses. Yeah, and I mean, and I have the you know the the week schedule because you know we're we're traveling and stuff like that, and I mean, so I think Hall, whether he wrestles in both or whether they give him an exemption, I mean, obviously the first you know it's like a decision tree. The first part of it is, does he want to wrestle in the senior open or senior trials? If he does, then there's two choices: well, he's going to do both, or will they give him an exemption? I mean, no disrespect to anybody at that other weight, but he's the prohibitive favorite in the junior tournament, you know, and he's sitting in the finals. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and he just rolled guys at at the at, in Vegas at that weight class. So that's fascinating. Now we get to 86 kilos, and we talked about this, but we got David Taylor. Well, okay, we got Jaden Cox waiting. And then in the bracket, Taylor's the one seed. Richard Perry would be the two seed. Nick Heflin, the three seed. Bo Nickel, Pat Downey, round one is the four five. Gabe Dean would be against Heflin at the six. Austin Trotman um, would be the seven against Perry. Kyle Crutchmer, eight against Taylor, assuming he gets by Joe Rao, who's the nine. And Josh Asper would wrestle Trotman in the pigtails at the ten. Um, I saw where Interman and some other folks had Crutchmer at seven, Trotman eight, Asper nine, Rao ten. So those, you know, who draws out of there. But if you look at the top six, it's it's pretty dead set. To me, besides the fact I think David Taylor is going to come out of the bracket, I think Nickel versus Downey. And then obviously if, if Downey were to win, the winner of that, either one of them against David Taylor is really fascinating to me. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the possibility for another nickel downy match. And, uh, you know, like we've talked about in past shows, uh, you know, whether you like the guy or don't like him, um, you're going to be watching Pat Downey, no doubt. I mean, you're going to be watching him on the mat. You're going to be watching him on social media. Um, potential for fireworks both places. So, uh, uh, that's certainly a guy, you know, and I, I don't know if you've seen like, uh, seen his singlet that he's, he's tweeted out, but, uh, he's got a pretty interesting singlet that, uh, he's yeah. had designed for the world team trials, the, uh, unattached I think, assassin. I think, I think one of us sent that to each other. We texted yeah. a picture of that to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's B-A- fascinating. B-A-M-F. 
BAMF, it says on there. Barracudas are mean fish, David. Barracudas are mean fish. <laughs> that dude is one of a kind, good, bad, or ugly, like you're saying. You, you know, he's an interesting guy to follow. So then you get to 97 kilos, and, you know, you talked about your buddy that went to and out against Cox and Snyder. I, I think Kyvin Gadsden is going to be the answer to – you know, one of the greatest trivia questions ever when they say Kyle Snyder and Jaden Cox were in the same bracket of the NCAs and neither one of them won it. Who did? So, you know, and I was very good friends with Kyvin's dad, Willie, and my dad was actually the medal presenter that year. So, I mean, I have very vivid memories of that year in St. Louis. But the way it stands right now, Gadsden would be the one seed. Kilgore would be the two. Burak, Micah Burak, excuse me, would be the three. Nathan Burak would be the four. It looks like Kleinschmidt would be the five, Ty Wall six, Nico Reyes seven, Matt Williams eight, Hayden Zomer nine. To me, it feels like Kyvin Gadsden's made really big strides. I don't think it's fair to say he's caught up to Snyder, but it feels like he's separated himself from the rest of the pack at this weight. And and the one thing he does have is he knows he can beat Kyle Snyder in a, in a match that counts. So I, I think he won't go into that match scared. I don't know that you know how much that'll impact the final result, but I think you got a guy that will actually wrestle him hard. Do you see see it the same way, or do you see it differently? No, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And uh, you know, we saw Kyvin out in Vegas in in last three rounds of the tournament. I think, uh, or was it? Uh, you know, he, he wasn't real happy with the way he wrestled in the finals. I don't think, but. Uh, you know, twenty-four to one in the last three rounds of the tournament um, out there, and, and yeah. uh, I'm with you. I think he's getting better and better as it goes, and and uh, certainly, you know, that's not the you know you look one through ten, and that's not the uh, most um, decorated weight class uh, after the first um, you know three or four guys, but uh, um, yeah, he's he, it's certainly one that uh, you know if we see Gadsden and Snyder. On Saturday night, I, I think that there's a lot of intrigue there going back to uh, going back to the NCAA finals. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think it's super interesting. So at heavyweight, Gwazdowski's waiting. Zach Ray is the one. Don Bradley is the two. Bobby Telford's the three. Tony Nelson's the four. Justin Grant is the five. Nathan Butler's the six. Blaze Cabell is the seven. And I don't think there's really even an eight here. I mean, Tervell, but we know he's retired. So it looks like Zach Ray would actually have a buy into the semis. It, it feels to me like it's Zach Ray against Bradley, against Dom, and then the winner against Gwiz. You know, Gwiz has obviously got the huge advantage because he gets to wait all day. Uh, but when he won at the U.S. Open, I think that was the first time he'd ever beaten Ray. And Dom Bradley's wrestled all these guys. I mean, he had he was up, I think, 4-0 on Gwiz at the semis of the Open, and He's either beaten Ray or been ahead of him in matches numerous times. I mean, this, this feels like a weight, even though Gwiz is the favorite and Ray's, you know, done really well against these guys. You know, I think Bradley has cause for confidence here if he can, you know, wrestle a full six minutes against these guys. This this weight feels pretty even to me. What, how do you see it? Well, I see it a lot, like uh, 57 kilos, right? The bookends are, are to me – you know, in terms of uh, the most suspense 
where where you look on paper and you could see two, three guys that make sense of, of potentially coming out and, and grabbing that spot, those are the two, I think, 57 and, and 125. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, interested to see, you know, certainly we're going to have a changing in the guard there. I mean, it's been Travell's weight for so long. And, and right. uh, is is Gwiz step is is he ready to step up and be that guy like like Turbell, be the representative for multi years and, and put a lock on this weight class in the United States for, for this uh this cycle. I think that you know, he's a guy that can go get takedowns and, and to me you look at the you know, the best heavyweights on the planet and, and they're guys that can go get takedowns um yes. and, and not not just have to rely on, on standing in the center and hoping to, to get uh you know you know, calls to go their way or get push outs and things like that. Gwiz is a guy that's got some high powered offense and he can go get points. Yeah, he can go get the legs. You know, that's a phrase I hear with a lot of these top level coaches. You know, they can go get the he can go get the legs when he needs to and you know, that's that's the game at every weight, but if you can do that at, at one twenty five, that's a big, big advantage. Hundred and twenty five kilos, yeah. So I think it's gonna be really fun. I mean this is First time I've gone up there in any sort of capacity with track, so I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. And um, you know, we, we're actually coaching a couple of St. Louis guys in the in the junior trials on Friday, so that'll be really fun too. So it'll be a really you know that that weekend will be fascinating. Well, while all this is going on, we've got a couple events going this week on track wrestling. Pan Am Juniors, uh, United States sending a team down there led by uh, Anthony Cassiope. Um, Fargo finalist, a uh, guy that won folk style nationals heavyweight out of Illinois. And then schoolboy duels will be going on this week. And David, I was looking at uh, some of the past schoolboy uh, results. And yeah. It's stag- staggering some of the names <laughs> that, that are in this tournament. I looked at, at 2010, and these are just the placement duels. Some of the names that were in 2010. Uh, Vincenzo Joseph, Michael Kemmerer, Josh Maruka, I think those three wrestled um, three out of four weights in a row for Team PA. Chandler Rogers was uh, in the championship duel for Washington. Mitch McKee, Keyshawn Hayes, Cam Sikora, Seth Gross, Miles Martins, Kevin Michich, Matthew Kalodzik. (laughs) That's just 2010. You go back to 2005, Nico Megalutis, Taylor Walsh. Josh Kindig, the Alton Twins, Mike Evans, Kyle Dake, Cody Brewer, Alan Waters, Ryan Mango, Kendrick Maple. Just a small sample of the kids <laughs> that are going to be wrestling in that. So that's awesome. Pretty incredible to, to look and see, you know, such familiar names that, uh, you know, we're talking 12 years ago for, for Megalutis and Dake and company, but, uh, you know, we're only seven years out for guys like Vincenzo Joseph and Michael Kemmer and, and, and guys like that. So these these guys are going to be competing at, at uh, schoolboy duels. They're going to be on our radar here in a hurry. So chance to, to watch those guys compete and get to know them before uh, the rest of the country does here. The superstars uh, of tomorrow, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talked at the top, a couple high-profile guys on the move. Corey Keener had been rumored for weeks uh, that he was going to transfer to Penn State, Central Michigan to Penn State. So Penn State uh, addresses 133 pounds 
Um, I saw somebody on Twitter the other night, uh, you know, said something about Penn State solves one of its problems or something along those lines. And <laughs> I think Penn State doesn't have a whole lot of problems. But uh, they got five but, national uh, champs and a, and a guy that was with a bank, then ranked the number two seed in the country at six of the weights and returning all American in another weight. So yeah, they're yeah they don't have a lot of problems. Is right. Yep. Yep. So. Uh, Anyway, Isaiah White, that's a heck of a get for Nebraska, the D2 champ from Notre Dame College making the move to Lincoln where they have a chance to roll around with Tyler Berger, Jordan Burroughs, James Green and company. Pretty good situation for him and a heck of a get for Nebraska as well. And that, uh, you know, you start looking at uh, the pieces that Mark Manning and company are putting into place out there, you know, we, we talked about Alex Thompson a couple of weeks back, um, undefeated three-timer from Iowa. Fargo Cadet finalists uh, committed to the Huskers here earlier this month. Chad Red, Jason Renneria, um, Bo Bresky, some pieces really starting to fit together there for the Huskers. People forget how good Isaiah White was coming out of high school. I'm not saying he's not good now, but they just don't remember because – he won one of the most loaded Fargo brackets and beat Vincenzo in the finals. Kemmer was in that way. Um, I know Isaiah because I'm friends with Mike Powell, who's coach at Oak Park River Forest. And Isaiah was a, you know, the number one guy in the country at his weight. I think he lost, uh, he might have lost like a, you know, long overtime match with David McFadden, but he's the truth. I mean, obviously he hasn't had the same kind of guys to roll around with at Notre Dame that Vincenzo Joseph had at Penn State. So, you know, there may have been a gain there or a, a, a fallback, depending on which perspective you're looking at. But there's absolutely no doubt that Isaiah White makes Nebraska, you know, super legitimate there. And it's, it's interesting because he had originally committed to Ohio State coming out. And, you know, the thought was, oh, we'll send him to Notre Dame. And they'll be close. He'll be in Ohio, you know, get in state residency and all that stuff. So it's it's interesting to see what happened. Probably the the transfer of, of Tishon Campbell makes you know made that uh, you know change that up a little bit. So it, that's a big big get for Nebraska. Um, it's 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 kind of sliding by. I don't think people are giving it enough of the publicity because they get him with three years plus a redshirt year. So I think he's a major get for them and his training partners, like you said. At that weight class, you can't argue that it's – it'd be hard to argue that there's many more situations in the country that are much better than that, for sure. Well, we talk about a couple wrestlers on the move. We've got a couple wrestling programs on the move. SIU Edwardsville leaving the SOCON, heading to the MAC, and that'll be effective uh, a year from now. Um Northern Iowa making the jump from the MAC to the Big 12, and that's going to be effective immediately. Uh, still some uh, ends to tie up on that deal, but it sounds like uh, it is just a matter of time before that is a done deal. One of the things that's going to be interesting to see how Northern Iowa fills out that schedule for the rest of the season. I mean, I think the Panthers are running into some scheduling issues there, trying to get that thing filled up. But uh, when when you look beyond the short term and, and the battles with just getting uh, getting a, a schedule put together, 
What do you think about these moves for Northern Iowa, for SIU Edwardsville? Well, I think SIU to the MAC, you know, kind of makes sense. I mean, I think geographically they're just as close to those schools as they are to the SOCON. I know Jeremy Spates has a, a, still has a great working relationship with Brian Smith, so I know if that was something they wanted, I'm sure Brian, you know, did what he could to help that as, with Mizzou being in the MAC. And I remember when when Mizzou was going to leave the Big 12, I actually talked to Coach Smith, and he's like, I got something on my sleeve. We're going to have a place to go. And that, you know, and it was the Mac. So, you know, I think Brian and Jeremy are both guys that think ahead. I think you and I are both, you and I are both very high on you and I next year. And I think seeing, you know, you're right, the dual scheduling and all that stuff's going to be tough, but they don't all wrestle everybody in that conference anyway because there's a bunch of add-ins and they're taking a couple of years to get that worked out. I think it's cool seeing, you know, those guys like you know, we talked about their lineup last week and, and really in-depth a couple of weeks ago when we were doing the top 20 review. But like the Max Thompsons of the world being in in the firestorm there, I mean, 149 was really good in the MAC last year. But, it, I mean, the Big 12s are cool. And I literally just literally a few hours ago interviewed Kevin Crutchmer, who is the Oklahoma USA chairman and who, who runs the Big 12s down there. And Kyle's dad, obviously. And I, I think, you know, they had 12,000 people through the turnstiles for the two days there. That meet felt a lot like a preview to the NCAAs. It's good for the Big 12. And the Big 12 for years was the preeminent conference. And then it, you know, kind of fell in hard times. I think it's cool to see you and I in there. I mean, I'm excited about both of those moves. Well, look where they were like three years ago, where, where Oklahoma's down, Iowa State's down. Um, West Virginia's down. It's Oklahoma State, and and pretty much that's it. Um, you know, not really a lot of suspense um, from a team standpoint, but now you've got uh, Iowa State investing a lot of money into wrestling, a lot of resources into wrestling, Oklahoma doing the same thing. Um, Northern Iowa coming into this conference, we've talked at length about South Dakota State and, and the job that Chris Bono, John Reeder, AJ Shop and company are doing up there, um, and, and you got some more programs. You know, Northern Colorado. You look look a little bit further down. Northern Colorado is, is having, um, I, I think, what they have five qualifiers last year. I think a program yeah. high. You know, Wyoming had such a good tournament out in Vegas. Um, it's it's becoming a, a you know, I don't I don't want to say that they're on par with with the best conferences out there. I don't want to say they're they're quite there where the Big Ten is yet, uh, but but the Big 12 has made huge strides here uh, with the addition of bringing in the Western Wrestling Conference programs, adding Northern Iowa to the group, and then seeing the resurgence of, uh, you know, at least we think that there's going to be a resurgence in, in Ames and in, uh, in Norman as well. Uh, Oklahoma certainly took uh, uh, some big steps this past year. Um, you know, especially on short time that Lou Roselli had to put together a recruiting class. But uh, you could see the progress that that program made throughout the season. So I think uh, exciting times for Big 12 wrestling coming in the future. I think, uh, you know, it's it's going to probably help Oklahoma State as well. It's going to keep Oklahoma State uh, develop an edge for them as well. Um, you know, just having to be on top of their game all the time now. So, uh yeah. It'll be pretty cool. There's going to be a lot lot of high-profile dual meets in that conference coming in the next several years. It wasn't good when – I mean, at one point that was a four-team conference, and 
you know, they're trying yep. to stretch that thing out over a full day. And I mean, anybody who's watching it knows you can run this thing like a quad basically. Right. And, you know, you yep. run the semis, you run the first and the thirds. And then if there's any true seconds, you wrestle them. And you couldn't really, I mean, nobody got excited about it. It wasn't, yeah, you're almost in a tournament. That's why you're just hoping guys don't get hurt, which is a terrible way to be looking at things. And I mean, it feels like a real national tournament qualifier now. I mean, they held it in a big arena. They blacked out half of it, so it felt really full. It sounded really full. OU and OSU fans really showed out well there. And I know, I talked to the guys from Oklahoma State, the coaches, and they they were happy that it's bigger. They're happy that the Big 12 is tougher. I mean, they they absolutely killed everybody in that tournament. I mean, you know, they had a record-setting performance. I think they went 28-2 and or something crazy like that and lost the two matches by a total of like three or four points. So they're going to continue to raise their game, but it is good. I mean, it's really good when those conferences are deeper like that. And it almost feels like this, maybe some super conferences or where you could see some of these conferences, you know, blending off and, and doing it that way. And with the gold and silver, silver qualification things, it's it's less important, right? I mean, the best guys are making it to the tournament for the most part. We talked about that a lot in season last year. So it allows you to do these, make these moves with conferences and it'd be better. And you and I had, a, you know, All-American last year, All-Americans, and SIU finally had an All-American. So I, I think it's a good move for wrestling all around. Well, if you've been following the show the last, uh, four weeks we've broken down two weight classes per week and we're finally to the end 197 and heavyweight david let's take a dive into those you have your list up in front of you i do all the color coatings that you're so familiar with yeah so um 197 is a weight that feels like it's not as deep as the first day we've talked about there's four returning all-american colin moore jared hot preston weigel kevin beasley What's interesting to note there is Beasley will score points in the preseason rankings for Michigan and not for Old Dominion. Then for the round of 12, Matt McCutcheon, Cash Wilkie, Dan Shade. Round of 16, Frank Matias, Matt Williams, who we just mentioned in the trials, Stevan Cervantes, and then the round of 24, Nate Roder, Corey Grigo, Ricky Robertson, Ben Honus. Um, although I, I think we both feel like maybe Darmstead will be there. Uh, uh, Christian Brunner and Jared Kasunik. And then the round of 32 guys, Tom Slay, Jacob Holschlag, Malik McDonald, Tanner Orndorff, Marcus Harrington. So that's 21 deep. And then you've got some, some freshman guys like Nathan Traxler from Stanford, Sammy Colbray from Iowa State, Ben Darmstead from Cornell, Eric Schultz, big stud at Nebraska, A.J. Nevels, Fresno State. Kevin Mulligan, Rutgers, Blake uh, Ripple from Indiana. And then, you know, who knows if, if Kassar will be back at Penn State. Oklahoma State's really deep at that weight. They have Derek White, although I'm hearing rumblings. They may move him up to heavyweight. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good weight, but I, I certainly feel like it's not nearly as deep as some of the other ones we've talked about the last month or so. The, what jumps out to you when, when you hear these names and we're going down the list? Well, I totally agree with you in, in that standpoint. I think, um, you know, we've we've certainly given a lot of uh, – given a rundown on, on the first eight and, and looking at um, some of the others, you know, 41. 
uh, for example, 65, um, you know, those two popped in my mind right away. Um, just, just certainly a lot more depth, a lot more high-end stuff, um, one through eight at those other weights. So, you know, here, here you're looking at, um, at a weight class where, where some teams can really make some hay. I mean, you know, we talked about it a year ago, um, well, not a year ago, but, uh, so midway through the year, I remember saying Cash Wilkie and, the, and the, you know, he was sitting right outside the top 25. He'd gone really close with, with a lot of guys that were in the 10 to 25 range. And, uh, you know, I thought just because of the weight class and, and people not really separating themselves, the top eight hadn't really separated themselves, that I felt like he, he was a guy that could, you know, really get hot at the end and make a run and, no, he wound up making the round of 12. He wasn't even in the tournament um, when the right. initial pairings were out. And, uh, um, you know, ended up uh, getting in as an alternate and uh, making the round of 12. Um, you know, we talked about Holschlag a couple of weeks ago. Um, right. Maybe last maybe last week, a guy that uh, at the start of the year was um, in contention to make, you know, become Northern Iowa starter at uh, 84 off that spot to, to Drew Foster and, and winds up, uh, um, you know, having a pretty good season, you know, undersized, but, um, you know, certainly, you know, posted some good victories along the way. And, and we talked about, you know, the benefit of him having, you know, four or five, six months in the off season to really build his body up. You know, one guy we haven't mentioned um, this week in running down, but uh, you talked about it a week ago, Willie Nicholas, the, the possibility of him making the, yeah. the move, up from 84 to 97, certainly has the frame to do that. Two-time All-American. If he's, if he indeed makes that jump from 84 to 97, I think you're looking at a guy that uh, can contend for a high spot on that podium. Yeah, I would probably have him ranked third, you know, being a two-time All-American. And, you know, I think, you know, my man crush I have on Colin Moore and how he wrestles, but this feels like a weight where Ohio State can score a lot of points. You were dead on the nuts accurate about Wilkie months ahead of time. And the interesting thing is, you know, when we had Terry Brands on Matt Chat, I think there's a good chance that Wilkie goes to 84 and Holloway comes back to 97. I mean, you obviously have your finger on the pulse of Iowa way better than I do. But that seems like that could happen. It might make sense for them with Sammy Brooks graduating. So, you know, it's interesting because if they think Holloway's as good as Wilkie, then they're putting in a guy who's, you know, would be ranked around sixth or seventh in the preseason. And then you take around a 12 guy who is rustling up a weight, moving down to 84, where they've had success with Brooks the last couple of years. You know, maybe Iowa's not quite as thin as everybody kind of thinks they are. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how 84, 97, a heavyweight shakeout for the Hawkeyes because, uh, you got the uncertainty of Sam Stoll uh, coming off two ACL tears, uh, big body. I've heard that uh, uh, reports out of Iowa City sound like, like he's really coming along well, um, getting in great shape. And, and so that would certainly give them the flexibility uh, to to look at Holloway making the cut down to 97. Um, you know, a guy that won a couple state titles at, at Mediapolis High School and in uh, – you know, had some matches, uh, you know, in the postseason. I remember the Dream Team Classic where uh, I think he wrestled Bobby Stevenson, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, Bobby Stevenson, I think, was was ranked number one. I'd have to go back and look to, ma- to make sure. But 
um, Holloway was right in that match, and, and um, you know, a, a guy that made himself a lot of money. Uh, it feels to me like he made himself a lot of money at the end of the recruiting process with, with the way that he wrestled that spring, a late signee. Um, but for whatever reason, it seems like uh hasn't quite shown the same results at heavyweight that he did uh, when he was wrestling at a lighter weight in high school. And so maybe – um, maybe he's better off getting slimmed down and being down at 97. I agree. I think that if they can do that, you know, they've got those three guys that are potentially medalists at 84, 97 heavy. And then, you know, you've got Sorensen and you've got Kemmer and then, you know, you've got Marinelli. I mean, it, most people would kill to have a team like Iowa and this is their down year. So, you know, it's interesting. So if you go to heavyweight, there's, Four returning All-Americans from this year. Kyle Snyder was first. Obviously, Tanner Hall was third. Nick Nevels was fifth. Jacob Casper was sixth. Then you have Adam Kuhn, who was third a year ago and redshirted. Amar Desi, who was fifth a year ago and was injured. From the round of 12, you have Ryan Solomon from Pitt. Uh, you have Hamida from Maryland. Conan Jennings from Northwestern. Then round of 16 this year, Thomas Haynes, Lockhaven, Cody Crawford, Oregon State, uh, and Hino from Campbell. Then Mike Hughes was round of 16 a year ago. He redshirted this last year. He placed in the Southern Scuffle. Then round of 24 guys, Nathan Butler, Stanford, Billy Miller, Edinburgh, who had some good wins. Garrett Ryan, Columbia, Dustin Dennis in Utah Valley, who had a couple good wins. Newton Smirchick, Central Michigan. Round of 32 guys, Joe Goodhart, Drexel, Gage Hutchison, Eastern Michigan. Jake Gunning, Buffalo, Austin Myers, Mizzou, Corey Gillen, Daniel, UNC. Then Brooks Black, who we know is good, who didn't qualify this year, but was, I think, around a 12 guy, around a 16 guy a year ago. Then you've got some guys coming out of red shirt, and you've talked about a couple of these guys. Jordan Wood from Lehigh, who made the finals of the Midlands. Uh, Carter Isley, I know you're high on him from UNI. Sam Stoll, we just talked about him. Uh Gannon Gremmel from Iowa State, who I know won Fargo, Andrew Dunn, Virginia Tech. And then NC State's got two good heavyweights in either Michael Boykin or Mike Rogers. I, I, you know, to me, it feels like this is probably, you know, Snyder. You know, Snyder is obviously at his own world level. And then it feels like Adam Kuhn probably is, is next best. But what kind of jumps out to you when you look at this? Well, I think the guys at the bottom of the list are, are really intriguing. Um, Brooks Black, it hasn't happened for him yet at this point in his career, but, uh, you know, a tough year that he had uh, this past season. But that's a guy that uh, has a pretty lengthy track record going back to high school, being the number one guy in the country, um, pretty highly coveted. Um, so interesting to see how he can bounce back. Mike Hughes, you know, guy that gets on top and scores a ton of points. Um, had a pretty good season as a uh, as a redshirt this year. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Wood, and we, we saw a glimpse of him at the Midlands. Um, Isley uh, went 23-7. and seven. Um, You know, going back to high school, I don't know how many thousand yards he rushed for, but, but imagine a guy that's, you know, 270 pounds that's running, you know, pretty good athlete like that and trying to tackle him um, as a running back. It was quite a chore. <laughs> or uh, high school football players here in Iowa. But uh, um, Sean Streck, another guy that, uh, you know, had some opportunities in football and 
you know, pretty highly coveted as well. So there's there's a lot of guys at the bottom of the list that, that I'm intrigued to see because there, there's going to be one or two guys in that list that, that aren't um, listed in the top 24 there that I think are going to be serious uh, contenders to, to make the podium. Um, you also have uh, Stoll, as I mentioned, coming back off a couple ACLs. Um, be interesting to see how he holds up. So, uh uh, certainly, lots to lots to keep an eye on there. Um, you know, Snyder certainly the, the, the class of the field. Uh, you know, Adam Adam Kuhn coming back, Desi coming back, uh, that adds to it. And then Jacob Tasper. Um, you know, he talked a lot of talk leading <laughs> up to the the semifinals, and he really hasn't uh, backed down even after uh, losing by major decision to Kyle Snyder. So, uh, you know, that's. He's got people talking. He's got people like uh, uh, Pat Downey. You know, we talked about his social media accounts. You know, people are going to keep an eye on what uh, Jacob Casper is doing and saying. So, uh, you know, lots to look at here from uh, from heavyweight. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think uh, it's going to be a fun weight class. Uh, maybe not so much suspense at the top end with Snyder separating himself from the field, but uh, – you know, I, I think uh, two through twenty-five. There's going to be a lot of movement here throughout the season. And it feels like a lot of these uh, school, the kids at this weight, the guys at this weight, these are guys where their schools we've talked about are on the move. You know, like Arizona State's a school that we think can make a big jump. Michigan's a school that is a state that we think can make a big jump. Now, Iowa's a school that we, you know, we know they're going to do everything they can to not have a fall and you know, obviously Penn State, you know, I mean, if they get a third, you know, we have Neville's ranked third here. I mean, even if he was ranked fourth, if we bump Kuhn up. But if you have Tanner Hall and Kuhn ranked, you know, two, three, somewhere in there, those guys, that's a that's a huge point. I mean, Tanner Hall scored a ton of points for Arizona State this year as like the 10 or 11 or 9 seed, something like that. And, you know, if Kuhn, you know, we've talked about how good Michigan and Arizona State can be. Kuhn was the leader of that team the year he made the finals. So, I mean, those are big things. And you've talked about the work that, you know, Kevin Dresser's doing at Iowa State. And Kevin Jackson didn't leave the cupboard bare. And Gremmel's just another one of those guys that, you know, has great credentials. And, and, and like you said, is one of those guys in that bottom half that could make a leap. Hey, one more thing while we're on this, we're wrapping up the uh, the 10 weight classes. We we had a tweet, or I got a tweet the other day, um, Dan Seifring, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Apologies to Dan if I, I mispronounced your last name. But uh, uh, Dan tweeted at me the other day and uh, said he's listened to the podcast about 174 and noticed Fox Baldwin is not listed on the Virginia roster for 2017-2018. So thank you to Dan for pointing that out. Um, if you guys have any uh Anything, uh, any feedback that uh, you want to fire our way, anything you want us to talk about, any questions you have, uh, feel free to give us a shout either on uh, the Track Wrestling Twitter account or on my own personally, Andy underscore Hamilton, or you can hit either one of us up on Facebook. Um, yeah. But uh, certainly we, we appreciate the feedback. I want to make sure that uh, we're getting it right out there. So thanks to Dan for pointing that out to us. We, You know, I certainly hadn't noticed that, but uh, appreciate uh, Dan bringing that to our attention and uh, David, anything else for this week? No, I, I got Cody Bickley that's going to be on Matt chat this week and he's the USA wrestling director of high performance coaching. 
we had him on. He's the expert on RTCs, regional training centers, what you can do and what you can't do. And there's been a lot of speculation. And he he is a very high-energy guy, very high-energy and uh, very competent, very well-spoken, did a great job of, of explaining things that, you know, people don't necessarily know, including myself. And uh, did a great job of, of, of talking about, you know, the benefits of RTCs and how that's actually resulted in tremendous improvement at age group levels in terms of world medals. So a guy that I, I was not friends with before this process, but a guy that I'm very impressed with, very grateful that he came on. And uh, he's a very good listen. I think Gary Mayab is up there this week and will be, you know, until the end of the week. Um, they both were awesome. So, and then I'm going to try to do something a little different for the next couple episodes of Match Chat. I'm going to try to get all eight world team trial winners on for like 15, maybe 15 minutes apiece and, you know, put them together in two hour long podcasts. Uh, if I can do that, I think those are the guys that people would really love to hear in the, in the next coming weeks. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. David Mercatani, thank you so much for your time. Always my pleasure, Andy. And we'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can check back to trackwrestling.com for coverage of the World Team Trials. We've got preview stories up right now of Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Dake. David Taylor and Jaden Cox. There's going to be more to come this week. We've got the Blue Chip Recruiting Podcast with Eric Olanowski, his guest. This week, two-time cadet world champion Yanni Diakmahalis, Cornell Bound. He talks about uh, some of the things that led him to Cornell. Um, also, David's Matt Chat, as he mentioned. We're going to have the Schoolboy National Duels. We're going to have the Pan Am Junior World Championships, so you can catch all that on trackwrestling.com. Thanks for listening. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.